is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This week's episode is brought to you by National Geographic's acclaimed limited series, The Hot Zone, starring Emmy, Golden Globe, and SAG Award winner Juliana Margulies. Based on the best-selling book, the series is inspired by the terrifying true events of Ebola's first appearance on U.S. soil in 1989. Rounding out what Collider called an excellent cast are stars Topher Grace, Liam Cunningham, and Noah Emmerich. IndieWire called The Hot Zone a scary, absorbing thriller you won't easily forget. And Entertainment Weekly noted that the series is more relevant than ever. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, visit www.natgeotv.com FYC for more information. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we're going to be discussing the Emmy contenders for Wow Best Drama Series. This is the big one. This is it. The, the, the marquee, marquee category. So you'll also hear Dominic's interview with Corinne Gist from the upcoming Mixedish, and my interview with the cast of The Hot Zone from our annual Emmy Contenders event. Because that's hot. We're in the hot zone today. Listen, last year's winner was Game of Thrones, who had been a winner before. This year was the eighth and final season. Of Game of Thrones. Right. Game of Thrones has got it. Okay. I I think Game of Thrones, if you're going to give it to something that's getting all the publicity, just as we're ramping up to uh, uh, vote on these things and, and pick these this summer, uh, Game of Thrones definitely is in the, in the uh, hot position, no question. Oh, hot, hot, hot. It is only one of two returning nominees, the other being This Is Us, which is not going to win here. Ouch! <laughs> so, you know, why don't we flip oh, this wait, script? Uh, Dominic let's just announced about, let, let's that talk about, this is let's us talk is about, about the people who are, let's just do, instead of who's going to win, who's uh-huh. not going to win. Okay. okay. House of Cards, not going to win. All right. House not going to win. Well, why, well, now, why do you say House of Cards? Uh, there's a certain issue around a certain person, and I just feel that there would be a concern among okay. voters that they would be rewarding bad behavior. Or. And, that, could, and I would say, <laughs> I say that, with having said, um, I didn't think the season was as strong as it, it should have been. I uh-huh. think maybe they, they went an episode or two too long, to be yeah, honest, right. even though it was a shorter season. Um, they obviously were in a huge position of deficit because they basically were, they, they kind of were, had, had, had straight-lined when, right. when the whole Kevin Spacey scandal started. Yeah. They shut it down. There was a lot of discussion about what was going to happen. They brought it back, and they had to clearly revamp this whole thing to figure out where it was going to go and yeah. how it was going to work. And in many ways, Kevin Spacey, even though he was never actually seen in the finals, uh, final episodes, the ghost of Frank Underwood did kind of dominate everything. Yeah, well. Um, and I just think as much as Robin Wright put in an excellent, excellent performance, Michael mm-hmm. Kelly and many others, I just don't see it, man. There's too well, there's too much there's too much toxic smoke around. I it. don't see it winning either right now, but I do see a possible nomination for a different reason. The fact that they got this show made, they didn't even expect that they could go on for a sixth season. The producers put it together. They were lucky because at the end of the fifth season, the last line was Robin Wright's character 
uh, looking into the camera and saying, it's my turn. And boy, did that lead right into a new storyline that they could go into, and they did it. And I think they did it very well. Uh, and of course, the acting's there. It's more likely to have shots in the acting categories than, uh, than drama series. But again, I have to say, five of the seven nominees are not around this year. Stranger Things, The Americans, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, and Westworld, all ineligible. So there's a lot of slots to fill. And, yeah, but I do think, I, I think there, um, you know, the, when you look down at the list this year, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, because of ineligibility and, and, and sort of changes in certain rules that have moved certain series from one category to another, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there, there, is, a, there is a bit of a Westworld, for instance, is ineligible, but there's a little bit of a Wild West to all of this in many ways. So yeah. I do think, you know, you could look at things like the Julia Roberts uh, series, Homecoming, I don't really think so. Maybe right. a nomination for Julia because that's yeah. a that's a pretty obvious one, right. right? There's a slot there, and she will definitely get one of them. I don't see Homecoming get it. I, I think also there's some other ones where I think uh, you know Ozark and Better Call Saul contenders of merit. Uh, yeah. Better Call Saul definitely had one of its best seasons ever, and right. we're now that'll now, be nominated. We're now literally bumping up against Breaking yeah. Bad canon. So I think that's that's going to bring. That we're going to get in. Better Call Saul. We're definitely going to get Ozark. In you think there. so? Oh yeah. Netflix first of all has hired the entire town, and they've all got a vote now. And uh, so I think that's why House of Cards also has a shot. Uh, there's a lot of voters coming out of Netflix, and Ozark is their big hope here because they don't have the crown. And they don't have Stranger Things. They don't have any of that stuff that they they've counted. No, on. but they do have the Bodyguard, which I'm not. Yeah. Which I was not a big fan of. Actually, I should. I should. I I have had confrontations with people from that show about yeah. my about my review of it. <laughs> and and I will be. And I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, right. I, I I will I will say this. My, my issue with the Bodyguard was I thought the Bodyguard was a pretty good political thriller. Yeah. And then the final episode was terrible. Right. Just terrible like okay. broke all the things that have been built up were right. suddenly turned into like this absurd finale well um but let's hope voters didn't get to the end of the season because many times they don't when they get these DVDs if they just them, see the pilot that was brilliant exactly exactly and they also <laughs> hear they also heard the spillover from the uk with the kind of numbers it got etc et right and of course richard got a golden globe so yeah. i do think the bodyguard is actually a very good dark horse for netflix so in many ways riddle me this why yes batman why is nobody talking about Succession a great friggin' show? Because many of us have already read real biographies of the Murdoch family, and we know how it ends. Okay, Not I don't quite. know, but I think it's brilliantly acted. It's riveting to watch, and uh, I think it's a terrific show. It's coming back. Uh, I just see no buzz out there well, for because that. I think, I, see, I don't think Succession is a very good show. I don't. I mean, I, lots of there, again, there's lots of great pieces to that puzzle. Uh, I think Adam McKay did a great job directing yeah. the pilot, uh, but I just think you watch it and it, it's very insider for one thing, and which is which is kind of unique for HBO actually with with, with something that large. Um, it's very insider, and it's pretty clear, even though everyone walks around denying it, it's pretty clear, like, well, you certainly started off this with some idea of Rupert Murdoch and his sons and his daughter Elizabeth right. to get this thing off the, off the ground, and I just don't feel like it really attracted that much. I, I know a lot of people like you like it. I do, I do I know do that. Like it, yeah. I do like it. And look... It's very hard for me personally not to love something that has Brian Cox in it. I mean, oh, I'm he's just brilliant I, too. I, I'm just going to say that, but I do feel like if you've ever read a Vanity Fair article about the Murdochs, you already know where the show well, is. Fortunately, I don't read Dominic, so there we go. Oh, we've known. <laughs> that. We know that. I only watch TV. I thought you only watch. I thought you only watch movies. Actually, I do only watch movies. I, I fake it with TV. I know. No. 
I actually have seen Succession, and that's why I'm I'm um, I'm pointing it out. I really think it's good. Okay, Pose. I, I do think Pose I do, is a little hot show going I, I on think, here. I think Pose is more than a little hot show. I think Pose is a very very hot show. Okay, so that gets a nomination. And, and I think I think also that there are elements of uh, I think there's elements this year of a little bit of. Second, second verse, same as the first. And what I mean by that is, is Killing Eve in particular. I Yo, think Sandra O oh and I think, I think other members of the cast, I think that show, I think that the ratings numbers it got, et cetera, et cetera. I think that, that Killing Eve is really going to be a player here. Yeah. Really good. Honestly, I'm not sure if it's going to be a Dragon Slayer. Right. I think it could be. Well, it could be. You know what's interesting? Other than This Is Us, the networks, uh, the broadcast networks really... Don't play in this game anymore, do they? they When's just, the last time they did? I mean, what? They got the good wife at one point. That, and, but that was it for a number of years. Yeah. I'm actually, you know what? I will say this. I, I think The Good Fight could be a real contender. Now, I, let's I really talk do. about The Good Fight. That is a terrific show, too. Great show. Nobody it, watches it on CBS Access. Pro let CBS know that, which is why they're, they're putting, putting all of it on now. Because which is the, great. The, the, the first the season. The first season leads people to the second season. Yeah. I mean, I mean there is so much goodwill for yeah. Christine for obvious reasons. Reasons. Uh, I think she'll get a nomination. She's uh, great. Uh, I I do think I think they could make this work. They've had quite a campaign for it. I yeah. mean, it's been remarkable. Oh, the I campaign. Know. I know. Like Christine... I thought they were going to put all their money into Star Trek Discovery. They put a lot into Good Fight. And yeah. interesting thing about Good Fight this season, of course, Michael Sheen has joined this season, right. and and his his character is kind of. Not only an awesome foil to Christine's character, but also is is, is a larger than life figure himself that plays into many of the topics that her character hasn't been playing into so far in terms of timeliness. So right. I think it's become a more fully rain show. Yeah, and it's in, it's interesting. You know, Christine Baranski did tell me though uh, this was in an interview for the actor side that was taped before CBS announced they were going to put it on the network on uh, and uh, in this month in June. Uh, she said. This show can never be on the CBS network. It just, you know, it's too edgy for them. And then look what happened. She was proven wrong. They are putting it on the network. I'm just wondering if they're putting it on the way it's run on CBS All Access or if it's going to be subject to some censorship. That I, subject I, has I, not I come think, up. Well, they're clearly going to put a, uh, a place card up front. They yeah. have to. Um, I don't know. I You know... People know what beeps are. Right. I mean, you know, grown-ups watch grown-up yeah. shows, so I think I think that'll be fine. Let's I talk about that. HBO's The Deuce, which I think is a terrific. You love that show. I think it's a terrific show. Maggie Gyllenhaal, all of that, um, but it, it's just too rough, I think, for a lot of voters out there. There's all I, kinds you know of, what I you know. also think might be the case here, and this really disappoints yeah. me because it's one of my favorite shows, which is Showtime's Billions. Yes. I think Bill, I think Billions is a little too rough for people to a different way, clearly than The Deuce, which deals right. with mid seventies Times Square, which let me tell you, someone who grew up around that time, very rough, yeah. and the porn industry. Right. Um, As someone who was in the porn industry, yeah, I mean, you were between those Ar <laughs> between those Arsenio gigs. Yeah. I hear like uh, that was that was you how go. you bought the the house. Well, you know, hey, you know, happens. Skills to, pay, <laughs> skills to pay the bills, my friend. Okay. If, if, you know, um, and I, I think that both those shows are unfortunately overlooked. I, I think billion. Yeah. I think billions really deserves this far into its run. Really deserves this kind of recognition. It's a great okay. show. All right. So this whole conversation is a complete waste of time because Game of Thrones is winning. That's you know the funny decided. thing about it, though. <laughs> the funny thing about that, and yeah. I know we're going on a little long tip. The funny thing about that is there is one Achilles heel in yes. Game of Thrones. I think, and that is is that there was a lot of contention about 
the final season. Mm -hmm. A lot of fan blowback, some of which I think was just just grieving in another form, right? right? But I do think that that might be something Academy members might might feel. There was, you know, this was built up a hugely anticipated event, like presidential election level. Right. And then it happened, six episodes, and the numbers were great, record-breaking right. for HBO. And then it's over. Done. Yeah. You know? Um, and I feel like people might be like, yeah, it's done. It's yeah. done. We did it. We've done this enough times with this show. Now, I know finales, especially series finales, always have a special place in people's hearts, and past yeah. winners definitely do. But I do feel that people might be like, yeah. Wasn't so crazy about it. No, that's just me. I, I just think, well, I think that. Then, I, then I who think benefits? Is it Better Call Saul finally? Maybe. Maybe, I, I think maybe who, back. To I think AMC. who benefits? I think who benefits then is 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 the split the difference. Killing yeah. Eve, Better Call Saul, all of which deserve yeah. this. Uh, you know. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. This week's episode is brought to you by National Geographic's Free Solo. The documentary is a breathtaking portrait of climber Alex Honnold as he prepares for an unprecedented feat, climbing the 3,200-foot high face of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park without a rope. Celebrated as one of the greatest athletic accomplishments of any kind, Honnold's climb proved that the limit of human achievement is far from being reached. The Seattle Times called Free Solo a masterpiece, nearly as impressive in execution as the climb itself. And Vanity Fair said it was one of the most arresting documentaries of the year. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, visit www.natgeotv.com slash FYC for more information. Well, you've got someone that you've talked to that you're going to uh, let us in on right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was very fortunate, and you mentioned it during our intro. I was very fortunate to have a discussion with Corinne Gis, who is was the showrunner for Star for um, two seasons and is going to be the showrunner for the upcoming Blackish spinoff, Mixedish. Um, we had a great conversation, very wide-ranging, and here's a little taste of it. With what's going on between the WGA and the ATA and all yeah. that, how does the process actually work for you as a showrunner having now this added level of duty and responsibility uh, beyond like the million and one things you have to do anyways to get a show up and running and going? Well, you, I have found myself reading um, more scripts and also getting them from just anywhere and everywhere. And you don't have, it's not exactly a curated list, so the, the net is a little wider and you end up reading more people than you would have in a good way and hearing more voices and um, just having you know, access to more writers. But I mean, and that, that brings up an interesting point, because I know that you have in the past, but both on Star and, and in, in many stages of your career, Grey's Anatomy and even on Girlfriends, you know, the, the idea of a, Afri a woman of color showrunner is unfortunately and sadly still pretty rare in yeah, Hollywood. unfortunately, uh, On the small yes. screen, and, and statistics show us on the big screen as well. These are a yeah. lot of lip service, not that much paychecks, to yeah, be very yeah. blunt about it. So when you talk about new voices, what are you looking for? Because you're in this position where you can, honestly, you can put ABC's money where their mouth is. Yeah. Well, for me, it's about um, bringing, opening the door for people, giving access to um, writers who might not be heard right now, um, and women of color, uh, just anyone who is kind of marginalized in the bigger picture. Um, so for me, I just read as many things as I can from as many people as I can, whether that be their experience is diverse or the way they appear in the world is diverse. Um, it's, it's just about finding and looking in, in places that I think normally we wouldn't look for writers. Do you think that, you know, I mean, for two years you were the, you were the executive producer of Star, mm -hmm. which 
sadly, yeah. is no longer with us. Well, in that show, you know, it had a, it had a, a big life. Um, a lot of fans who loved it and... A lot of it, ideas. A lot, a lot of, of ideas it, underneath this kind of trio of songwriters. Yeah. A really big idea of America. It was a big... And that's what I loved about the show. I think that's what's so hard to say goodbye to. It's the this idea that we were able to tell these unique stories. They were entertaining and fun and, you know, you had girls singing and trying to make their dreams come true, which is a story we've seen a thousand times before. But then we introduced this idea of politics and holding the mirror up to society and just trying to be a part of the conversation. We pushed that into the scripts and into the conversation in the writer's room, thought there was a which is what we're doing on Mixed Dishes. Well. And I, th I was going to say that. I, yeah. th there's a little bit of a Trojan horse element there. Mm -hmm. And I, I've often thought when you look at people of color or, or, when, or, or women who are creators and showrunners, whatever, that seems to be something that is part of the gig in mm -hmm. a way. Do you feel that? Part of the gig in terms of just having more. In terms of having like trying more. to get other ideas through through the, the premise of it's singing and dancing and trying yeah. to make it, in, make it in the music biz. I don't know if it's part of the gig for everyone. It's really important to me. Why? For, because... Um, because I think we, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't talk about things. And I also think it's really important for people to see themselves in, in, in entertainment. Um, and for me, my first show, as you mentioned, was Girlfriends. And that's the show where I came up. I was, it was like my high school and college of my career. And, um, and I was able to see my reflection in the stories. It's, that's such a, that's a privilege. That's a, that's a thing that I, that I, everybody should be able to connect. And it doesn't have to be just about people who look like you. The, the story should have a universal human moment. Like that is what a good story is. But it's like, it's nice to kind of see yourself on mm -hmm. screen. It's nice for our kids to see um, themselves on screen. I, you know, I'm from the East Coast and I didn't think about being a writer for television until I came out here, and, and I think a lot of that is because if you, if, if you don't see it, you don't even think about it. And so it's a way of broadening the world. You're, we're, you know, we're able to tell those stories, put those experiences up through character in an entertaining way on TV. That's a, that's a, that's a big deal, and I think it's a, a privilege um, that, and a duty that I have, and I, and I hope other show writers feel the same way. And I had a conversation with the cast and uh, uh, producers of The Hot Zone. A and, hot conversation. And when, a hot when, conversation. when we use the word hot, we're talking hot <laughs> ratings. Hot. hot ratings for this Nat Geo show. It broke all records for them, and uh, it is a riveting show about the uh, discovery of the Ebola crisis and how it affected um, the U.S., is obviously around the world also. So uh, Hot! It's hot. Check it out. Check it out. And Juliana, this is the last project I would expect you to do, having done ER for six years and learn all that medical lingo and do all of that, which is not easy to do. I mean, memorize that. And here you are playing Nancy Jacks again. And did you want to do this when they first came to you? What was your feeling about it? Well, I was looking for a light comedy, and I thought, <laughs> <laughs> this sounds good. <laughs> Ebola, yay. Um, the truth is I actually didn't give it enough thought in terms of the dialogue being medical. I, don't, I thought of Nancy Jacks. She's a colonel in the army. She's a pathologist. She was a veterinarian. I didn't think, of course, until I got in the hazmat suit and had to say immunofluorescence, and then I went, no. 
I vowed I would never do that again, but it was too late. Um, I didn't think of her as anything to do with an emer uh, the, you know, not the medical profession, but it was such a different strain of that. She's a scientist, she's a pathologist, and I didn't realize that the medical dialogue would get me again. It's really hard. But you do it so well, but it is hard as an actor to get that all believable. It's hard because unlike law, uh, when I played Alicia Florick, I could understand the trajectory of my a nine-page summation. I could I could piece one sentence to the other because I. But when you're saying scientific medical dialogue, I don't know what an immunofluorescent thing is. You know, I'm. <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't be an actor. I'd, I'd actually do something much more worthy with my time. Um, <laughs> So, um, so yeah, when you don't understand, I mean, I remember when I, when I was on ER, I used to say um, Demerol IV stat probably once a day. And I never knew what Demerol was until I woke up after an operation and heard the nurse say Demerol IV stat and felt this warm liquid go through my body. And I was like, oh my God, it's such a great drug. <laughs> and then I would say it on ER like Demerol IV stat. I finally could understand what I was saying. So yeah, it's a you know um, I I I took I took the job um, because the story I read the book, it was so riveting and also I um, loved the character and I also couldn't believe that it was at the time when I said yes to the project it was 2018, and nothing much has changed. I mean, we're still sticking our head in the sand. I think even more now because we're living in a time of denial by uh, many of our um, government leaders and people around the world that are denying what's going on in so many ways that create crises like these. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is also, I think, um, what's so telling about this story is it's a global issue, but because Africa is so far away from America, we don't think of it as ours. And there's a great line in it, actually, that Topher says at the end, when we're trying to plead our case that we need more support, the CDC needs more money so that they can support our research, we need to find a vaccine. Um, and they say, well, it looks like we dodged a bullet. And Topher's character says, we didn't dodge a bullet, the bullet hit us. Mm -hmm. And then my character goes on to say, and this is a testament to Kelly and Brian, which is, it's not a matter of if it comes here to U.S. soil, it's a matter of when, because it's already been on U.S. soil. So I think what's so remarkable about this journey that we've been on and hopefully shining a light it, um, by airing it is that um, it'll shine a spotlight on something that we need action on. So thanks for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode of our hot discussions. And of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.